If I were to title this message, I would call it either Principles of Discipleship or Principles of Evangelism. A couple of introductory remarks on my heart I'll read in a moment, but let's turn to John chapter 4. We'll read a portion of Scripture there. John chapter 4. I'll just start in the first verse. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman came to him and said, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks from this well will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go and call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he'll tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. We know the rest of this story. This woman went back to her town. And the effect on her life, it's not spelled out like we do in today's terms, but she said, come see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Christ? God saved her. And the method that Jesus used has nothing in common with modern evangelistic tactics. This, this uh, ties back to the message preached last week. When we bring the gospel to people, it needs to be done in the way that Jesus taught, that the apostles practiced, and that scriptures endorse. And that's for everybody, whether you're a preacher or not. That's, that's what's on my heart today to try to help us understand and be encouraged by uh, 
Jesus gave us an example here of how you should evangelize. And first of all, he, he was going about his regular life. The reason he was there is because he was tired. Because he'd been doing other things. He didn't go on a mission. Now, he knew what was going to happen. He, he had the knowledge. But what I'm telling you is, practically, he stopped at the well because he was tired. Most of the opportunities that come in our lives come in the matter of the course of events of the day. There may be somebody at the gas station, or the coffee shop, or the grocery store, or the dry cleaners, or the hospital that God means for you to talk to, and you're not going to talk to them if you're too busy with your religious blinders on wondering what you should do that's religious. Jesus talked to this woman because he was thirsty. She was there because she needed water. And that experience turned into the salvation of her soul. She went back and told her whole town, and many, we don't know if it was hundreds or thousands, trusted the Lord for salvation because of her testimony. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand me. I, I heard one preacher question, he said one time, maybe that was the first evangelist. <laughs> she wasn't a preacher. But that's the point. You don't have to be a called preacher to bring the gospel, euangelion, that's where the word comes from, the good news to the world. Every one of you, brothers and sisters, should evangelize. That's not a religious thing. It's a real thing. And you see the way Jesus did it? It was just natural conversation. The main thing he used was truth that came from revelation from God. God showed him in his heart who this woman was and what her circumstances were, and he wasn't afraid to speak to that. Before I go any further, have y'all experienced times where God put something in your heart about the person you were talking to that there's no way you could have known? The most recent example of that, uh, maybe last week, I sent a text to somebody I don't know that well. And I just said, I, you've been on my heart, I'm praying for you. And he just texted me back, wow. And then the next day he said, the reason I said that is, you have no idea what I've been going through. God put that in my heart. And he can do that for every one of you. A lot of you have experienced that. That's not just for preachers. I used to, when I was little, I'd be in the grocery store with my mama and people would come up and start just telling her, like just dumping on her if they'd been on drugs or, or alcohol or abusive relationships. I'm a little kid watching, like, why are they telling her all this? There was something there that God was doing. That's what was happening with this woman and Jesus. The Spirit of God was there working. It was founded in love and truth. God used that to save her. There weren't any tactics, there weren't any techniques, there weren't any smooth methods, there weren't a step-by-step, -step, do this, do this, do this, and then you can check the box, she'll be fine. It was real and personal. And that's, I wanted to give that as an example. There's many examples in Scripture, but Jesus is our best example. So let me get into the teaching that's on my heart. The only true service to the Lord... Listen to this. The only true service to the Lord is what He deems service. The only true worship to the Lord is what He thinks is worship. Sometimes we think we're doing some things that are good or worshipful. If He doesn't think they are, they're not good or worshipful. And the only thing that's real when it comes to worship and truth and spiritual service is what God recognizes 
A lot of times we have good intentions when we do religious activities. But it doesn't matter how well-intentioned the presumed worshiper may be. If God doesn't say, this is worship, this is true, this is real, it's not. And I need to say that first because there's a lot of religious stuff that goes on that seems good. But if God doesn't think it's good, it's not. Good intentions don't always produce God-honoring results. I'm going to say that again. Good intentions don't always produce God-honoring results. In fact, sometimes they do exactly the opposite. Sometimes people through good intentions do the opposite of honor God. And this is in my heart today that there's so much attempted evangelism that's actually doing the opposite of what God gave us. We don't need to be part of that. And the reason... With that in mind is why I haven't titled this message How to Evangelize or How to Win Souls or uh, How to Lead People to Christ. See, there are principles and truths that God writes in your heart long before you ever understand them in your mind. I remember in high school, I had a few religious friends, very religious friends, and one of them asked me, how many people have you led to Christ this year, Josh? And before I had any time to process it, out of my mouth popped, I hope nobody. If I did it, it's not going to last. I wasn't being smart or arrogant or something. That was in my heart, and I didn't understand it to the same level I do now. But brothers and sisters, we don't lead people to Christ. And that terminology is all around us. I'm going to teach that and preach it today. We need to be very careful of people who say they know how to lead people to Christ and they can train you to do the same thing. I'm not up here today to train you in evangelism because it's not something I've mastered, because it's not something that can be mastered, because it must be done through and with the Holy Spirit, which is not a process. It's more personal than we can even comprehend. So we need to be careful. This is a warning. We need to be careful of that kind of language, like um, leading people to Christ, or I did this, or I won this person's soul. We need to be really careful of that language, and we need to be careful... They might not be wrong in their heart, but the language is wrong. So we need to be cautious of people who think that that's the way it goes. You be careful when people talk about how to win people to Christ. It sounds nice. It's one. I wish we could win the whole world to Christ. But nobody gets to God unless Jesus draws them. And he doesn't do that through techniques and methods that we came up with. He does it through his own power. Here's the thing, brothers and sisters, and many of you, you'll agree with this. This is the truth. I don't know how to lead people to Christ. And neither do you. Every person who comes to truly know Christ undergoes a new birth that happens supernaturally through the power of God. And listen to this part. It has nothing to do with you. There are only two people... I want you to get this. There are only two people present when a lost sinner becomes a child of God. God 
in all that He is, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that person. Those are the only two people present. Now, there might be a whole lot of people around, but they're not present in that interaction. That is something that happens so much deeper than anything you can be part of. You can speak to a person's mind, but only the Holy Spirit can speak to their spirit. And He may help you. And preaching should do this. He may help you and save people. You should be able to do this with God's help. He may help your spirit speak to their spirit through His spirit, but it's still Him doing it. Nobody's present at salvation except God and that person. So the very idea that you could lead somebody in that process is so against Scripture, I can't emphasize it enough. It's very dangerous. There might be a lot of people around, like I said, but the only two people involved in this new birth experience are God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, and that person. Jesus explains this clearly in John chapter 3. I've preached on it before. I'm sure I'll preach on it again. The Spirit moves wherever it wants to. Wherever, the wind moves wherever it wants to, just like the Spirit moves wherever He wants to. It's the same way. You can't tell how the wind works. You can't tell how the Spirit works. Doesn't mean there aren't things that you should do. We'll talk about that. But the work is through God. He's the only one who can produce spiritual life. And all of the Lord's congregations would be a whole lot better off if we would get our eyes on Him and off of who we're trying to convince to do something. The Lord saves whom He will, and He does it by the power of His own mighty hand. So, with that said, I I had to give that sort of warning or disclaimer. Uh, The Lord has established His ecclesia, and He sends us out into the world with the message of good news. And don't... Listen to that first part, but listen to this part too. God wants to use you. He wants to use you in an appropriate way. Not in a method or tactic that somebody taught you or something you came up with. He wants to use you from the heart. Just like Jesus did in this interaction we read about. The Lord has designated, He has established this institution, His bride uh, his, his congregation, His local people assembled together. He has put us here to do the work of evangelism. All of us. It's something you can do and you should do. So don't be afraid to try. Don't be afraid to talk to people. Just understand that there's a way that's appropriate and, and a lot of ways that aren't. The Lord wants to use every single saved child of God. He wants to use us to advance His kingdom. He's looking for willing servants to spread the message of hope and truth and salvation to a lost and dying world. I pray, I desire, I want, I crave that we could be more like this Samaritan woman. She didn't have the right pedigree. She didn't have the right birth. She wasn't from the right country. She wasn't the right gender. She was at a time when women weren't, they, they weren't important. They weren't allowed to say things that mattered. None of that mattered because she spoke from her heart what God did to, to her and for her. She couldn't contain it. Sometimes I, I, I think that, that 
fire that comes with the newness of salvation, it, it wears off in time and becomes something a lot more polished and stoic and, and serious. Sometimes it shouldn't. God hasn't changed. Why are you any less amazed with Him than He used to be? I'll tell you the truth. I'm more amazed by Him than I was the day He saved me because I understand it better than I used to. It's a beautiful thing. It's a miraculous thing that He can save us. And we should be amazed. We should be impressed enough to tell people. You know, I'm the kind of person when I go to a restaurant or a coffee shop or something and I have a good experience, I tell everybody. You have to go try this place. They know all of my eight favorite orders. They really care. And I'm not exaggerating. But you know what I find myself cautious about doing that with God? Because there's so many phonies in our culture. I don't want to seem like one of them. Why don't I worry about that with food? Or apparel or whatever that I'm excited about. Any service industry. Somebody does the right thing. I tell everyone, go, go. That's what this woman did with Jesus. He did the right thing. And she said, wow, come see this man. That's how you evangelize. You get so impressed and amazed by what God has done for you that it authentically spills out. You can't help but tell them. It doesn't have to be religious. You don't have to get your Bible out. I'm not saying you shouldn't read your Bible. I'm not saying you shouldn't know Scripture. But it should support... This woman didn't... She said, come see a man who told me things about myself that he couldn't have known. He told me everything I've ever done. How did Jesus evangelize her? He told her she was a sinner. <laughs> Sometimes God puts you in a situation with somebody where you have enough love with them that you tell them the truth in such a way that any other circumstance it would just be mean and harsh, but in that circumstance it's completely disarming. And God uses it to crumble them. Have you ever experienced that? I have. Not as much as I want to. I've read about men of God, and it's not about them, it's about God, so it's good that I don't remember which ones it was. But I've read about men of God that when you got in their presence a sinner, they would just fall down because the power of God was so strong within that they couldn't stay on their feet around that person. You ever been in an environment like that? There were a few times when I, when I was lost and my, my mama would take me to all these revival services around the whole Midwest and Southeast there was a time in Missouri, some of y'all were there. I still have like chills thinking about it. We drove, I was lost. We drove in the parking lot and the power of God was so strong, it took my breath. The power. The Holy Spirit was there so strong that I couldn't breathe. And I saw, even as a lost person, the workings of God in this place. There were people moving in a way that I didn't usually see. The Lord was there. I was... 13 or 14, and it had an indelible impact on me all these years later. You want to do something for the Lord? Seek Him until this place gets like that. It can. We seek the Lord, we can get to the point where the power of God is among us in such a way that people walk in and they can't stand it. If they don't know Him, or if they do know Him, they can't stand not rejoicing. A mighty rushing wind. 
He can still move that way. But it has to come about the right way. It starts with people being like that woman at the well who are so amazed by God they can't help but tell about Him. I'll say again, you don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to be well educated. You don't have to be smart. You just have to be willing to be full of the love of God. Full of gratitude for what He's done for you. Some of the most impactful people in my life have been uh, not theologians. Not the people you go to to figure out complicated biblical ideas. But the people that love you so much it completely overwhelms you. I want to be more like that. But I can't make myself be that way. All I can do is turn my eyes to Jesus. Maybe he means for me to be more like something else. That's up to him. So, let's get into these principles. This is not exhaustive. It's not all-encompassing. They're just the ones that God put on my heart, and I'll just run through them as quickly as I'm able to. The first thing, you must remember when it comes to the gospel, to evangelism, or to discipleship of people, the first principle, spiritual things... Spiritual things can only be accomplished by spiritual means. What we're talking about is spiritual. If we're not doing something spiritual, it doesn't matter. Everything else is going to be burned up. We are called to a spiritual work, brothers and sisters. The the ecclesia, we're supposed to do a spiritual work. It includes physical things, absolutely, but the work is spiritual. And it can only be accomplished by spiritual means. Romans 8 says, Romans 8 verse 5, They that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. There's a reason fleshly evangelistic tools make me uncomfortable. Because they don't do anything useful. We don't need techniques. We need God's power. Your mind, your carnal mind, your creativity, all these things that are part of your flesh cannot come up with the right methods to do a spiritual work. It has to be spiritual. Only God can do that. This is the only true service to the Lord. As he told the woman at the well, God is spirit. They that worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The foundation of everything we do evangelistically or or discipleship, anything to do with church, it has to be in spirit and truth. That's what we see with Jesus. He told her the truth. It was pretty harsh. Go get your husband. Well, I've had five. It was mean, you might say. But it wasn't with a mean heart or a mean spirit. It was because of love that compelled him to tell the truth. I could give a lot of examples, a lot of teachings, a lot of verification of this in Scripture, but I'm going to move on because I think it's, it's an evident principle. Spiritual things can only be accomplished by spiritual means. The next principle is love. 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 You ever talk to a religious person who knows all the Bible verses, all the ideas, all the thoughts, you have a really good debate with them and you walk away exhausted? 
not renewed in your spirit, not refreshed, not hungrier for the Lord, just weary of having dealt with that person. You ever have interactions like that? Now, some of us might could be that person unintentionally, but I'm talking about somebody who is so focused on theology in their mind that they've completely lost sight of the whole reason of it all, which is love. You could read the whole chapter 13 to, that Paul wrote to the Corinthians, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal, though I have the gift of prophecy, though I give my body to be burned. He goes on and on and on. I could do everything, and if love's not in it, it doesn't profit anything. Brothers and sisters, you can become the rightest people in the world. I said it that way on purpose. And if it doesn't have love, it doesn't matter. Just look at the seven churches in Revelation. One of the ones the Lord had a lot of trouble with, they were right. But they lost their first love. I'm not saying doctrine doesn't matter, truth doesn't matter, that's what this message is about. But it better have love as the foundation. Authentic, Holy Spirit-born love from the heart should be the foundation and the motivation for everything we do. Why do you want to have a biblical debate with somebody? It should be because you love them. If it's because you want to win an argument, go back home. Winning arguments doesn't win souls. When I was younger, I argued a lot more. Now sometimes I'll tell somebody when it's in my heart, I can't convince you. <laughs> you take it up with the Lord. If I'm right, He'll show you. Because it's not about me being right. It's about love. It's about the truth. Everything we do should be founded in and motivated by love. The third principle of evangelism. This one is practical. Do what works. Not just what you're used to. You actually want to reach people? I, I do. Do what works. Not just what you're used to. We have some um, cultural traditions that we're used to, that are comfortable, that are nice. But I've preached this since I've been here, and since I've been preaching. Any of those things we must examine and figure out if they're actually working, if they're actually pleasing the Lord, and if they're not, we need to be willing to let go of them and take what He gives us to do or use. I'll say what I said again last week. Uh, this idea of spiritual harvest, God's not telling us to holler from here at the wall to the people out there who are wheat, say, get in here. No, He has commanded us to go get the wheat and bring it in. And we're not talking about a church building, by the way. I, I wonder if most people who've ever been saved, they would never made it in a church building. I think that might be true, because this is, this is a new thing. This is new. There were thousands of years that God was saving people without any church buildings through the power of His own Spirit doesn't mean this isn't a good place to worship. It's wonderful that we have a nice central place to come. 
But we need to be willing, brothers and sisters, to do what works, not just what we're used to. Now, with that is a warning, another warning. Be aware of methods that seem to work, but produce no lasting fruit. I'm not talking about what everybody else is doing that seems like it's working, so let's copy what they're doing. That's not what we're saying. We don't have to get rid of the pews and get chairs and paint the ceiling black and get mood lighting and have events. And If the Lord's in it, fine. But not just because somebody else is doing it and it seems to work. Because sometimes these things that seem to work produce no lasting fruit. We're laboring so that lives might be changed. Listen to that. We're laboring so that lives might be changed, not just so we can get another profession. I'm so thrilled for the people that the Lord has placed in this congregation, the new members that we have. I'm so thrilled. But when I talk to people about this church, that's not what I'm talking about. I might mention it, but you know what I'm talking about? The Lord meets with us. His presence is there week after week. Praise His holy name. I leave better than I was when I got there. I leave strengthened for the week. I leave filled up with His Spirit. That's what I'm excited about. Along with this, do what works, not just what you're used to. If we're holding so closely to what we think is true, that it's not actually producing any results at all, we really need to examine whether what we're holding on to is what God gave us or just what we're used to. If nobody responds to the gospel we preach, we need to at least ask ourselves, am I actually doing what I'm supposed to? Now, I'm not contradicting what I preached last week. There are times God burdens us to preach the truth knowing that we won't get the response we think we should get. We still need to preach the truth. But I'm talking about the ecclesia. We're not only talking about an Old Testament prophet. They had a, a specific role. The Lord's congregation has been called to evangelize the world. And if we're not reaching those people out there, we need to figure out why. Because we're supposed to be. That's why we're here. Brother. We're not... And I'm not, I'm not being mean, but we're not here to just come into a building with four walls and talk about how bad everybody out there is and go home feeling a little better. That's not... We exist to reach them. And if we're not reaching them, we need to be on our faces asking God, why? That's in my heart. I want these neighborhoods around here to know that we're here. When we say, where do you go to church? Hendersonville Missionary Baptist. Oh yeah, I know that church. They did this for my aunt. They did this for my cousin. When we had this problem, they were there and they helped. That's what we're supposed to be. And I don't know how to do it exactly. God's going to have to show us. But we're supposed to be known. A city that's set on a hill can't be hid. You don't light a candle and put a basket over it. People should know that we're here and we're the Lord's people. We need to figure out what works. Figuring out what works, we're not going to do it with our mind. We've got to do it with our hearts on our knees before the Lord. Because I believe God actually wants to save people. I don't think it's all over. 
I don't believe this stuff about, well, nobody's going to come and then we're all going to die and then Jesus is going to come back. I don't believe that. I find that Jesus is victorious until the very last moment when the trumpet sounds and there's a great shout. He burns up this whole place. He's victorious now and he'll be victorious then. How does he save people? He does it through truth. And he wants us to take his truth to the world. We've been commissioned to go. We don't need to just sit in here with each other and congratulate each other on how right we are. We need to figure out how to go. I don't know how. We figure it out through the Lord's help. Part of how. There's a lot of principles in Scripture, but the Apostle Paul was one of the best that we've ever seen at evangelizing. And here's what he said. To the Jews I became like a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became as weak, to win the weak. I've become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. That's the way. Say, well, he's just being a chameleon. No. He's being aware of his surroundings and being receptive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. When he went to a place and the Lord would work in his heart and he would go out and look around, he would let God guide him what he should say. When he preached on uh, uh, Mars Hill... He didn't pull out his King James Bible and start quoting scriptures. I'd say that joke, there were no King James Bibles. That's not what he did. You know what he did? He looked around. He took in, he breathed in the air. He breathed in the culture. He looked at what they were doing. He saw the false idols. He saw one that said to the unknown God. And he used their own culture to preach to them. I don't know how to do that, but I want God to help me. I want to be able to preach Jesus to people who've never heard of Jesus. You don't have to go to Africa or India or somewhere to do that. They're right here. I've met them. I met an Indian man not long ago that he was talking about his gods. And I mentioned Jesus and he said, who's that? Never heard of him. Say, that's not possible. Yeah. It is. And many people who have heard of him haven't really heard of him. The next principle, I just got a few more minutes. Let me repeat the others. Spiritual things can only be accomplished by spiritual means. Everything we do should be love. We need to do what actually works. The next principle is speak the truth. It's the truth that sets people free. Brothers and sisters, we need courage. We need God to raise up courageous soldiers. One of the things deepest in my heart for my little baby is that she might be courageous. That God put that there. You might have another goal for your children. That's what's in my heart. Other things. I'd rather her be courageous than compliant. She can learn to settle down. So when she pushes the envelope a little bit or is figuring out, like, is this okay? Is that okay? I'm trying to, I, I don't know how to parent. I've never done it before, but I'm trying to figure out 
Is she being defiant or is she just developing her confidence so she can stand? Because I want, I mean, women are supposed to do that too. You're supposed to stand for the truth. It might be in a different context than what I'm doing on Sundays or in my life, whatever, but we're supposed to be courageous and that has to do with truth. We need to be so serious about this that all this noise and, and, and baloney and chaos going around that we know isn't true, speak against it in the right context. God will show you. How can you speak what's true if you don't know what's true? So here's where absolutely spend time in the Word of God. You need to figure out what you actually believe. If you don't know how or what you believe, or you may say, I don't, I don't know how to tell somebody to be saved. Talk with somebody who's older and wiser. They're not going to train you to do it, but they're going to say, here's some things that help. Here's how you can be used by the Lord. Here, there's not a technique or a process. I'm not saying that, but there are principles. And they're all founded in truth. Truth and love. You have to know what you believe, but also there's a dose of humility with that. You need to recognize that your own understanding and beliefs and knowledge has its limits. I feel like I know pretty clearly what I believe about just about anything that matters. I'm a pretty opinionated, decisive person, but that doesn't mean I'm not wrong sometimes. It's good to know what you believe, but also realize that your mind can only figure out so much. Truth is about more than what you believe and understand with your own mind. It's about who you know, deep in your spirit. Truth is more than just information. Jesus made that clear when he said, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And he taught, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Truth is not just an idea. It's a person who you can know, who can reveal himself to you. And that's how you know more truth. The gospel is based on truth, not just emotion. The, the, the gospel is based in truth, not how I feel or how you feel. We should be able to talk to somebody. They say something and we say with a, a kindness, that's not true. That, that's just not true. Here's what's true. It, it's okay to have interactions like that with people. I, I had a co-worker who... Y- y'all can tell I'm not a... I'm not liberal politically. I'm not far left. I'm, I'm pretty conservative about things. I wouldn't say I'm a Republican. But she was about as far left as you could be. And I'm way over here on the right. I'm talking like morally and economically and stuff. And we became friends anyway. She didn't really believe in God. She saw how I lived. And... Uh, she told me at one point, when my kids get old enough, I want you to talk to them about God. Because I'm not sure how to, and even if, I'm, I'm not sure if he's really real. I don't know about all that, and religion, I, there's a bunch, I don't like religion, I said, I don't either. She said, but I want them to be able to make that determination for themselves, and I don't know how to tell them about it. Because I don't even believe it. Truth. You know how that interaction came about? Because I was honest with her. 
it wasn't because I was just being nice. It was because we had conversations like this. Because of love. And sometimes those things are necessary. Don't be afraid of the truth, brothers and sisters. The next point. This is a good counterbalance to that because sometimes we can get so focused on the truth, we forget the heart of everything. We get so focused on being right, we forget being kind. And this principle, maintain the heart of a servant. Any interaction you have with somebody, you're trying to tell them about the gospel, love them, invite them to church, live with them, work with them, whatever it is, maintain the heart of a servant. And by the way, these principles, I'm not telling y'all I've mastered them. This is a one I need a lot of work on. But Jesus, who wasn't obligated to serve any of us, you know, he didn't have to do that. He didn't have to wash the disciples' feet. He didn't have to break bread and feed it to them. He didn't have to treat them the way he did. He, he could have still been perfect and not done any of that. He did that to model that our job is to be a servant. He practiced servant leadership. So whatever we do, religiously, church-wise, gospel-wise, we have to maintain the heart of a servant. The, the next principle, there's two more. This one, I think, is important. They're all important. We need to focus, when you're evangelizing or, or discipling, telling people about the Lord, focus on relationship, not just information. We've got more information in this world than any time in history. And people are more foolish than any time in history. Ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. The more information they get, the more layers you have to work through before they can actually hear something real. And so the gospel is not mainly information, it's truth. And the way you get it to them is not just through words, it's through actually knowing them. Relationship. It takes time. It's not like... some. This is why I said these techniques and methods don't work. It doesn't necessarily work to just go up to somebody and be, Hey, uh, you want to accept Christ? Well, uh, well, I don't know. <laughs> well, your life will be a lot better if you do. Well, okay. All right, here's how you do it. Do you believe you're a sinner? I guess so. Well, Jesus came to save you from your sins. Do you believe that? Yeah. Well, you want to be saved? Well, sure. What do I do? Pray this prayer. You prayed it? You mean it? Yeah, I meant it. All right. You're saved. Yeah, that goes on all the time. Real evangelism is so much deeper than that, and it requires real relationship. It requires sometimes suffering through things with people. It requires crying with them sometimes. It requires sometimes laughing with them. Sometimes it requires maybe being around, this is my personal opinion, being around a person with a bad mouth, you don't talk that way, and you say nothing. Sometimes. And you know what? They come back. I've had this happen hundreds of times with coworkers. I used to work with veterans who they can talk. And they, they, I never said anything. Never. And they would come back and apologize. Sorry I talked that way. Or they'd say, hey, 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 don't talk like that in front of Josh. <laughs> like, like I'm some little like, innocent baby. <laughs> They're like, he's a preacher. Don't talk that way. They'd said it, not me. And I'm, this isn't about me. Okay, but it comes from relationship. 
They wouldn't have known that about me if I'd ever spent time actually getting to know them. And, and Jesus modeled that. He spent so much time getting to know his people, not just teaching them tactics or giving them a list. Again, I could go on and on with that, but I'll get to the final point. I'll say this. What good does it do to win the argument if you lose the person? Relationship. The final point. This is personal. Evangelism, discipleship, knowing God, it's personal. That means it can't be proceduralized. It's personal. God knows how to reach a person. There is no mass technique that works because every single person has to be personally dealt with by God. And your approach to them, every one of you, you have an opportunity, a privilege, and an obligation to bring the gospel to the people that you bump into in the world. Your approach is a little bit different for every single person. It has to be. There is no cookie cutter box technique. These spiritual principles say these things, now you're okay. No, because you don't know that person until you know them. And even when you know them, only God really knows them. But He can reveal things to you that get to their heart. This is personal. I'll say this as I close. If our Lord meant for us to use a specific process, He would have given us one. If He meant for us to have a specific procedure, He would have given us one. If He wanted us to have a universal checklist to make all of this very simple and easy to copy and easy to send people out and train them to do this, He would have given us one. He didn't. You know what He gave us? His life. And He gave us some very basic principles. Go into all the world. (laughs) Teach, disciple, (laughs) baptize. Tell them everything I've commanded you. Lo, I'm with you always. Even his command, his commission was based on relationship. I'm going to be with you. So, I don't know how to sum that up except uh, to say whatever we're going to do, God has to help us. And that should encourage us, not discourage us. Because brothers and sisters, you don't have to figure it out on your own. You have to figure out, well, how do I reach the... I don't know. Pray about it and then do what God puts in your spirit. He has to do the work, the, 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 the real work anyway. And I'm thankful for that. I pray this message is an encouragement uh, to this congregation as the Lord is, is, is building us. I really believe this. He's getting us, he's, he's building a body here that can function. Because he means for us to go and do and work. He'll start revealing those things in time. We don't need to come up with a bunch of activities, but but God will start giving us things to do, I think, more than just Sunday morning. I think He will, but I don't know what it's going to be yet. So let's keep praying, be open-minded to Him, open-hearted. Love you all.